Flip open to Revelation tonight, in Revelation chapter 21, using a pew Bible there, it's on page 1041. Frankly, I just want to read the whole chapter, but what I'm going to do is just read these final verses, verses 22 through 27. Just give us a little glimpse of what glory looks like. Chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. This is the holy inerrant, sufficient word of God. Let's pray right before we read it here. Father, we do pray your blessing upon this word as it's read. We pray for our meditations tonight. They might be filled with thoughts of you and what is to come. That we might find that you're caught up in different ways in our minds, in our hearts, in our affections. The truth of what is to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Be to God. Amen. We've been walking through over these weeks uh, the order of salvation, or what is called the orders, the ordus salutis, uh, in the Latin. And we've gone through each of these different elements in the order of salvation. I'd said uh, this week is the final. This morning, Pastor Kevin rightfully said, "Ah, there's not. There's one more week that we're doing. I forgot because tonight what we're looking at is glorification. Uh, next week he will look at union with Christ, which in many ways." Um, oversees the entire, is kind of the unifying factor over the entire order of salvation. And glorification is that last final chain in the great order of salvation. But do something a little different tonight. I just preached on heaven from uh, Hebrews in the morning services just a few weeks ago. And so thought we won't do that again tonight. I want to just walk through with you, less a sermon, just more of kind of a, a lecture thinking through glorification together. And I want to think through eight different characteristics or marks of glorification this evening uh, together. First, glorification, as we think about it as a doctrine, glorification is final and it is complete. It's final and complete. 
Jesus in John 14, in one of those great discourses that he has there in the Gospel of John, in John 14, 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. There where I am, you may be also. He's telling the disciples, I'm coming again. And notice what he says, that he's going to take them. And what is it that he's going to take them to? Did you catch it? He says, I'm going to take you to myself. That's a great promise there of, of John 14. He's going to take us to himself. We could, of course, say that we are with Christ now. He has promised to be with us even now. He says that to the disciples, those are some of his final words before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He will say in the Gospels, he will say, where two of you are gathered together in my name, there I am among you. So in a very real sense, even as Linda pointed out tonight, he said that I and the Father shall send to you the Spirit. He's with us by His Spirit. He is with us and present with us. Of course, it is also true that when we die, the Scriptures are clear. That when we die, we go to be with Him. Jesus said to that thief upon the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Paul will say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, we go to be with Him. When you die as a Christian, there is wonderful blessing. However, when we speak of glorification, that's not what we're speaking of. It is not that moment that you die and you go to be with the Lord. It is a wonderful transformation that happens for the Christian when we die. However, it is not glorification. There is a coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that will utter in the final and complete fulfillment of this promise to be with us and we be with Him. It's final and complete. That's glorification. It is that great day that we wait for. A final and complete day. Second, glorification means that we no longer suffer from sin or from the consequences of sin. Again, it's true to be absent from the body is to be present to the Lord. We will know perfect peace. We will know perfect joy. The very single moment we close our eyes in death, our last breath here, we will have our first sight there. And yet, there will be a waiting with anticipation for the day that we shall be clothed again with our resurrected bodies and we will dwell with Christ forever as resurrected bodies reunited to our souls, glorified body-soul beings with Him. We're waiting for that day, even upon death. As John Murray said, the redemption which Christ has secured for His people is redemption not only from sin, but also from all its consequences. Death is the wages of sin, and the death of believers does not deliver them from death. 
That is, we're not simply souls. When you and I die and our body is put into the grave and then our, our souls go to be with Christ, they're naked. In many ways, it's an abomination. Our soul was never meant to exist apart from our body. God created us body and soul. One being. That's our person. When you speak of Jason Olapos, you're speaking of body and soul. The fact that yours and my body returns to the dust from which it was drawn forth is an abomination. The fact that our soul would go naked anywhere is an abomination. And so we're waiting for that day when... Christ returns and when our bodies are raised from the grave in their glorified state and our souls are reunited to our bodies forevermore. It is then that the Christian is fully, as Paul says in Romans 8.29, fully conformed to the image of Christ. We are glorified body and soul before our resurrected Savior for all of eternity. As Paul says in the 8th chapter of Romans, we are waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Again, John Murray said it well, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and therefore nothing short of resurrection to the full enjoyment of God can constitute the glory to which the living God will lead His redeemed. Body, soul, beings before Him. That's glorification. Third, glorification is experienced corporately even as we experience it individually. When you and I die in Christ, in that very moment, as I die, when I die, if I die in the next three minutes, my I will go to heaven. That is right. My soul will immediately go to heaven and be with Christ. Immediately. But you won't. I am. You're not. Unless you die with me in the next three minutes. But what happens in glorification is that it's not just an individual thing. It is corporately experienced. Even as it is individually experienced. When Christ returns upon the clouds with the angels and the archangels and the trumpet blows, the dead are raised and those still living are caught up in the air and it is then that glorification is realized as a whole. We all in Christ experience this together in that instant. None before the other. All together. We will all be finally and completely transformed and we will know by experience, our complete and utter triumph over the last enemy death. It no longer holds our bodies. Fourth, our bodies will be free from decay and our souls free from disobedience. No longer shall our bodies suffer, deteriorate, and have pain and struggle with weakness and failing beginning of Revelation 21, points that out. 
shall no longer be tears. And neither shall our souls suffer from temptation or folly or sin. We shall be perfected in body and spirit. We shall be like Him. Fifth, glorification marks the reality that not only shall we be transformed in that moment, but the entire cosmos will be transformed in that moment. It shall be a renewed heavens and earth. Heaven shall truly be upon earth. You get this picture. If we had read all of Revelation 21, you see the new Jerusalem descending down from heaven. And as it descends, it, it places itself upon this earth. This earth is renewed. It is remade. It is truly heaven upon earth. And it is here in heaven upon earth in this renewed creation that we shall dwell forever with Him. Sin does not have the final say. It doesn't get to ruin this place. He remakes it and transforms it. We often sing that wonderful line in Joy to the World this time of year. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came, comes to make His blessings flow, for as the curse is found. For as the curse is found. That's what happens in glorification. His grace reaches out across the entire landscape of earth. There is not a corner of this place that is not transformed as far as the curse is found throughout not only earth, but all the cosmos. It's banished. Six. The greatest of all gifts awaits us in glorification. And that we shall see God been the great pursuit of every Christian. In fact, we could say it is a great pursuit of all of our religion. Imagine what that sight will be when we see Christ clothed in His human, in our human nature, sitting in glory with the angels that are before His throne singing His praise. And there is an angel over there that is singing. There is an angel over there that is prostrate before Him. And there is that one that is hovering Above him, and you and I, with our glorified bodies, with our glorified eyes, will be gazing upon him in all of his beauty and all of his wonder. And I, we find God beautiful here when we just get a, a taste of him in the scriptures and in prayer and in the sacraments. And there, as Paul says, we won't look through a mirror dimly lit anymore. We'll look upon Him face to face. We'll see Him as He is. Imagine what it will be like. Think about that, I always think about the disciples when Jesus takes John and James and Peter up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there that glory of His that has been shrouded that He's chosen to hide from mankind as He's walking the face of the earth so they're not overwhelmed. 
He, he gives them a glimpse of that, of that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter, who is so struck by it, by just that moment of seeing Christ in His glory before Him, transfigured, in that moment Peter can't help himself and he is, just blurts out, how about we set up three tents, Jesus? He just wants to camp out on this mount for all of eternity with what he is. That takes an awful lot to want to camp out for all of eternity. He just gets a glimpse. What you and I shall see is the full glory of God in the face of Christ shining. Thomas Watson, the Puritan wrote about what we call this beatific vision. He said, there will be glory beyond hyperbole. If the sun were 10,000 times brighter than it is, it could not so much as shadow out this glory. In the heavenly horizon, we shall behold beauty in its first magnitude and highest elevation. There we shall see the King in His glory All lights are but eclipses compared with the glorious vision that we shall have. We see Him. It will not be from a distance. It will be, as we're told here in Revelation 22, just the very next chapter, verse 4, we shall see Him face to face. His name will be on our foreheads, meaning His character will be our character. In verse 5 of chapter 2, we're told... 22, we're told that we will reign because He reigns. We will be seated upon His throne with Him. This is not the distance Christ. I love how John says it in 1 John 3, 2, that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. You remember throughout the Old Testament, the, the saints were never given a glimpse of of God, and, and then you have this moment where Moses gets a glimpse of God, but he's only allowed to see his back. And what the apostle was saying is saying, Look, you are going to get to see God face to face in the person of Christ. Just see him in all his glory. So you get this picture here in Revelation 21 of this light emanating from God that shall illumine the new heavens and the new earth. There's no longer the need for a sun. There's no longer the need for a moon. It is an all-consuming, an all-revealing light. We shall know Him as He is, and we will not be consumed by that light. We won't be consumed by it because it's refracted. As we see in verse 23, it's refracted through the Lamb, who is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by virtue of our union with Christ, our eternal mediator, that the very glory of God shall shine upon us and we shall dwell with God and not be consumed. John Owen said it beautifully, and so I'm just going to quote this long quote from 
Buckle down for this. What he says. In the vision which we shall have above, the whole glory of Christ will be at once and always represented unto us. And we shall be enabled in one act of the light of glory to comprehend it. Here indeed we are at a loss. Our minds and understandings fail us in their contemplation. It will not yet enter into our hearts to conceive what is the beauty, what is the glory of this complete representation of Christ unto us. To have at once all the glory of what He is, what He was in His outward state and condition, what He did and suffered, what He is exalted unto, His love and condescension, His mystical union with the church, and the communication of Himself unto it, and the recapitulation of all things in Him, and the glory of God, even the Father in His wisdom, righteousness, grace, love, goodness, power, shining forth eternally in Him, in what He is, has done, and does all presented unto us in one view. All comprehended by us at once is that which at present we cannot conceive. We long for it. Pant after it. And have some foretaste of it. Namely of that state and season wherein our whole souls and all their powers and faculties shall constantly, inseparably, eternally cleave by love unto the whole Christ in the sight of the glory of His person and grace until they are watered, dissolved, and inebriated in the waters of life and the rivers of pleasure that are above forever. is why the psalmist says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That shall I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon His beauty. One thing He wants. Seven. Glorification, He makes His home with us forever. is the great loss in the garden. When Adam and Eve sin in the garden, the great loss that all mankind suffers is that God no longer makes His home. That's why they are cast out of the garden and they are forced to flee east of Eden. Adam and Eve, who walked in the cool of the day with God, who enjoyed His immediate, unfettered access to Him. And He dwelt with them, and they dwelt with Him. They lost it. And so it's the great promise that we see throughout the Scriptures, where God says, I am your God, and you shall be my people. The great covenantal promise that weaves its way all the way through the Scriptures as kind of the scarlet thread. I am your God, you are my people. And the great promise at the end of that is that I will dwell with you. Why? Because I'm yours and you're mine. What was lost in the garden 
is restored and even superseded. And you get all of these little shadows of it throughout the Old Testament Scriptures where there's this continual unfolding that, look, this is what I do with my people. I dwell with them as they dwell with me. And so you have where there will be the tabernacle. And so there God will descend upon the tabernacle and dwell with His people. And then later where it will be the temple and He makes this kind of semi-permanent home where He's dwelling among His people. You will have that pillar of fire by night and that cloud by day where He shows that He is going forward with His people. And you will go on and you will have the priests and the prophets and the kings who are all signs of the fact that God is dwelling among His people. And then finally, as we see Jesus comes in the New Testament and we are told that He is Emmanuel, that is God with us. He is with His people. Then he says, as was pointed out earlier tonight in John 14, I must go to the Father so that what? I can send the Helper to be with you. Why? So that the Spirit may dwell with you, dwell with His people. But the great promise is fully realized here in Revelation 21. Where the new city Jerusalem descends out of the sky, that is the people of God, and as the people of God come upon the earth and in this transformed place, We're told that God comes and the great promise is realized where He says, and I will make my home among them forever. There it's realized. There's nothing that's able to come in there that's unclean or defiled or sinful. Why? Because He's there. There's not sorrow there. There's not deterioration there. There's not tears there. There's not pain there. Why? Because He's there. And we just get to dwell with Him. And He dwells with us forever. He makes His home with us. It's the great promise. realized in glorification. I long for that. Finally, glorification is a guaranteed promise. It's a promise that will be realized. It's the final link what has often been called the golden chain of salvation. If you go Romans 8 there, you will see this kind of golden chain laid out. Those who are called are justified, and those who are justified are sanctified, and on we go. And that final chain in the order of salvation is glorification. And it's a golden chain. It's a chain in which not one link of the chain can be broken. So those who are called are glorified. That's a promise to It can't be taken away. There is not the devil. There is not sin. There is not death. There is not hell that can break that chain. And so it's promised to God's people. You shall be glorified. Guaranteed. As the hymn says, I found a friend, oh such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus He bound me to Him.
And round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever. For I am His, He is mine, forever and forever. It's given to you if you are in Christ. It's not a matter of if, just a matter of when. You shall be glorified. Let me pray for us. We'll close with singing tonight. Father, we are thankful for the great gift we have of the promise of glorification. Would you help us to rest in that promise? To long for the realization of that promise? Forgive us that we are so weak and feeble and frail that we get so caught up in the things of this world we live as if today is all that there is. Forgive us that so often we doubt your promise. Forgive us that our longing for glory is so tepid. Pray that you would give us greater sights of what awaits us. We pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections with the truth of what is to come. And may we live for it. May it shape us all the days of our life. And thank you for being such a gracious God. We give you praise and glory and want to forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.